Hi, my name is Vivian Aqua, the Inclusive Workplace Wellness Advocate, and thank you for coming on Let's Humanize the Workplace. I can't even remember how many episodes I've done, so I'll do that the next time, but I definitely did more than 100 episodes, but I'm really excited uh, about the guest speakers of tonight, but I'm also excited about you know the previous guest speakers who have shared their insights and really want to to inspire you as a self leader, as a leader, as a manager, but also as a professional to really do better and and uh, humanize the workplace from within your span of control. So I want to talk about something that really impacted the world because I guess by now you have heard about the blockage. Uh, of the Suez Canal uh, somewhere in Egypt. And I noticed also a trend on LinkedIn. I'm going to show you something. Let me see, it's not working. Yes. Okay, this image. If you haven't seen this image, then welcome to this image because this is how people are perceiving isms. And even though it says systemic, systematic, systematic, systemic racism, I just want you also to read the different isms that people are facing within the workplace and what the DEI consultants are doing at the moment. You, you see that little, you know, that little tool there that is digging the sand out, making things loose. We want your company to, to not be blocked as the Suez Canal. We want your company to be free from the blockage. So when you're saying that you want to do better, but you're not walking the talk, I really want you to hold up a mirror. I shared a conversation. I shared a post about holding up a mirror yesterday. Hold up a mirror and see what you can do. Not them, not they, not the company. See what you can do to make it better for your colleague, for your coworker, for your client. See what you can do to amplify DEI. So think about the blockage of the Suez Canal and how we, we all can contribute to unblocking that phase as well. I also have some good news. I want to applaud a dear friend of mine, Hilary Richters, who is working for Deloitte and who is an amazing woman, by the way, but she is one of the main reasons, the driving force behind a panel promise. So uh, let's say that from ever since I've met her last year, she was working on uh, a panel promise within Deloitte because she was seeing mantles. And if you don't know the definition of a mantle, um, mantles are panels with only men. And most of the times when we see mantles, it's about white mantles, white men panels, and we want to do better. So this is the panel promise that Deloitte, uh, the lead digital edX have, has shown that they want to do better. So they want, to, they apply the 40, 40, 20 rule as in 40 men, 40% women, and 20% is from the underrepresented groups. This is a way of moving forward, and this is a way for committing. This is also a way for a company to show transparency. And um, I am with Hillary in this, in this case. I want companies to level up. So this is an easy you know, case that you can copy paste where you are committing your future panels, your guest speaking options. See if you can commit to the 40, 40, 20. So 40% men, 
40% women and 20% from the underrepresented group. That should be easy to commit, right? So going forward to the, the panel, because today's conversation is inspired by Beth Ann Campbell. Um, she is an author, I will introduce her later, but she's an author of uh, Where the Hell is My Bacon? And she will share something about that. But today's topic is also about who moved my bacon or who moved the cheese? And I'm going to bring them up one by one. And I also have a, another guest who's coming, who's popping inside right now. Yes. So let me introduce them. <laughs> he takes a moment. So Ben Ann Campbell is an author, podcaster, and a lover of bacon who is committed to helping people find their voice and achieve fulfillment. Angelica Patlin is a HR coordinator with a, M with a BA in anthropology and MS in HR management who is passionate about changing HR for the better. Sudha Sharma, who's joining us from New Zealand, is a globally experienced HR professional, inclusion and diversity advocate, strategist, culture change agent, and a lifelong learner. And this is my son, Orlando, Orlando van Grotes, and he it's his bedtime. So yes. Mm. <laughs> it's his bedtime. So welcome, welcome uh, all. I am, yes, Hilary was watching. Oh, thank you, Hilary, for joining us. I have a question, a question that I always ask my guest speakers. So um, what, why do we need to humanize the virtual workplace? And Bet-Anne, Bet do you want me to pronounce, to, to name you as Bet or Bet-Anne? What do you want? Either, either, or I respond to everything except for Liz. Liz is my inner critic that I talk to. So. <laughs> but, but Beth, is, Beth will... is fine. Okay, thank you. Thank you for sharing. See how easy that was? You can I just will. ask people. You That's can just right. Ask. It is. See? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what, what, why do we need to humanize the virtual workspace? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because when, when I think of how that human connection has affected uh, so many decisions that I've made in my work career from taking a job to staying with a job when I shouldn't have to um, uh, even my degree. Um, and then what that impact of that human relationship, those human relationships are um, on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, they really help us weather the stress and the day-to-day -day ups and downs, but also boost us up. And that doesn't go away with virtual. Um, mm. The difference is, is with virtual, we don't get, we, I can't go to lunch. I can't, you know, I don't get that, that sensory that we evolved to, to respond to, right? All those, um, the, the seeing, the, the, the hearing, the responses uh, that you get when you talk face to face. So um, I think that's why it's, it's ever important because those connections are super important for, for many reasons. And we need to maintain them because when we don't, we don't have that support. We don't have that that human connection to weather those ups and downs or to, to feel that boost. Um, then we be start becoming less engaged, and um, and then we know that's not not good. So, I also just want to emphasize or say something because there are four women on this conversation. Four women from um, one is from New Zealand, one is from Europe, one is from the east coast of the United States, and one is from west coast of the United States, and we are making it happen. I just wanted to plant that out there. So thank you, Beth, for sharing that. And Sudha, 
Yeah, look, I think when I heard the question, the first thing came to my mind was we bring our brains and bodies to work, mm. but what about our hearts? Yeah. And I think this goes before 2020 with technology, with fast-paced life, with so many meetings. I think companies have forgotten the need to be human, especially human resources department, uh, the need to be human, the, the create a sense of belonging. And this is only amplified in 2020 with, you know, people actually staying away from work, working from home. And it has created a very different kind of stress and more impact on mental health um, and long hours and burnout and so forth. So I really, it, it, it's interesting that we are even talking why we need to humanize the workplace because it's, it's a necessity and it, it's, it's a baseline foundation and it needs to be there for anything to thrive, like, like Beth said. And, you know, companies are looking at uh, employee experience how and and they want to improve their brand and and provide and and they want to do it in a real meaningful sense not just as a uh, you know for the sake of doing something but companies are like you said about um um the, the person from Deloitte uh, mm-hmm. you know what she's doing around panel and, and yeah. improving that area and and that's a very meaningful effort and and, and I think as, as we are, uh, our roles in companies where we are able to influence and we need to work towards uh, creating uh, a place where people have sense of belonging. I love that. And also I love that you shared something about Hillary because um, she shared with me, I hope that she doesn't mind. She shared that it seems small, but I told her this micro action that you're taking to challenge leaders or to challenge your, your company from the inside out, it has a macro impact. And if I can do something to you know, amplify that message, I, I can do that. So that's why I shared it here as well in, in the hope that more companies are going to step their game up. So that's it's it, the micro actions we should never belittle the micro actions because you never know what kind of macro impact they can have. Thank you. And, and Angelica? Yeah, so I think, you know, what, what Bethan and Sudha have said is spot on. I think for so long, we have separated ourselves at work. We bring our professional self to work. We leave our whole self at home. And partly it's because of what we think of as professionalism but it's mm-hmm. also about the structures that companies put in place. Does that pr- sense of professionalism, does that company culture actually encourage people, not, not only encourage, but also support, amplify, and nurture people bringing their whole selves to work? And I'm going to say no. And the pandemic really showed that because now you're in people's homes. I mean, look yeah. at us now. We're in each other's homes. There's no escaping real life. And I think you know, now we've kind of seen that we haven't been humanizing the workplace. And I think while the pandemic has made strides to really improve that, we're still not where we need to be um, because exactly. we still have people not being their whole selves, even at home. Um, so, yeah, I think we, we, we need to humanize the workplace because we are not separate people when we go to work. We're ourselves and we have to be able to be ourselves while we're at work. Exactly. Thank you for sharing. I also want to highlight a comment for Hillary. She's watching. Yes, I couldn't have said it better. And thank you, Hillary. You are as well. And uh, she shared also, especially the points that I make, 
if you have the position of influence, use that to make the work uh, workplace better for others. So thank you. Thank you for highlighting that as well. And I also wanted to highlight, you know, you all bring in different perspective of how we can humanize the workplace. Um, but I also have to share something because for the people who are watching for the first time or listening into this, this podcast, this episode, this show started because I was in an, in something part-time i'm not going to deliberate i'm not going to share that but i was facing a, a situation where i was being dehumanized and out of the frustration instead of calling it the dehumanizing the workplace i want people to feel inspired about how they and not the leaders not only the companies but we all can do better to create that that situation where we all are responsible for humanizing the workplace because it's not only about the leaders it's not only about the company we all are responsible for the workplace culture and when we are made aware of that we can all look into ourselves and we can all uphold the mirror to do better 100 so, yeah thank you Going, going to Sudha, can you share why we need to focus on engagement? Why does it matter for people in the workplace? Look, I think engagement as, as a lever uh, to improve people's motivation and inspiration to do a better job at work has always been there for, for mm -hmm. many years. And in fact, back in, I think, 2013, there, there was a Gallup survey which said 85% of the workforce worldwide is not is disengaged. So I think there's been a very, very intentional focus from organizations to, to bring about activities and actions to improve engagement. And that's primarily because it creates a sense of belonging and more importantly, you know, creating the psychological safety. That's the term mm -hmm. that's been you know, trending for the last few years, allowing and what Angelica's said about being yourself and bringing your whole self to work and not being afraid of you know providing your point of view and 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 challenging leaders and i think i think, <laughs> I think that's engagement is needed you know from a business standpoint it's going to improve productivity creativity and and it's going to be a happy place and yeah. who wouldn't want to join in a happy place you know so i think it makes all the business sense uh, to, to continue to focus, invest on engagement, whether it's a big, small, whatever kind of effort it is. And I do want to make a point that it is not HR department or one department's work. It is managers, leaders, everyone. Everyone needs to you know, add to that on a daily basis. Exactly. But give people the toolkits as well. And also regarding the Gallup, uh, Gallup uh, survey, because Gallup did that survey for, I don't know, it's 2018 or 2016. Don't pin me on the, the year. It is out there. But that survey is very impactful where they share how many people are disengaged and realize that when people are disengaged, they are talking to your clients. They are speaking on behalf of your company and energy is, um, how do you say it, is transferable. So if I am happy, a customer is happy. If I'm disengaged, 
what is the outcome of the customer to becoming a future client, right? What is the outcome of an employee staying longer? And you're, we are leaking money. We are leaking the brand. We are losing people. We are losing talent. We are losing clients because we don't pay attention to the disengagement. Yeah. Angelica. Yeah, I think you both have said it all. You know, engagement matters because one, you're running a business. If your people don't want to be there, it's going to show. If your Mm -hmm. people are feeling like they would rather, you know, go anywhere else or they're walking on eggshells every day, it's going to show not only in the quality of their work, but the quality of their relationships with customers and each other. And sooner or later, your company, like you said, it's going to be oozing money. And so you can focus all you want on productivity, on revenue, sales, those are important things. But if your people are actively looking for somewhere else to work, you're not going to survive as a business. And, you know, sometimes we hear, well, it's not my job to hold people's hands. That's true. People need to learn how to, you know, advocate for themselves. But we also, like you said, have to provide that toolkit. We need to help people understand how to advocate for the advocate for themselves we need them to see leaders also advocating for themselves because sometimes you don't see that. And, you know, it's exactly right. HR has traditionally not been the one that has really been producing engagement. It's been mostly focused on the administrative. And so should it be, is, is it HR's responsibility? Because I know that it's easy to pinpoint HR and I'm Mm -hmm. not, you know, I'm not giving HR the free pass saying that you're not responsible but are, is HR the sole responsible of engagement? No. Not, no. If you are relying on one department to uphold your whole company and its culture, you are going to fail. It's yeah. basically like, you know, that, that wooden block structure game, Jenga, I think it's called over mm-hmm. here. You're basically <laughs> yes. putting your foundation of your company on one department, one block. Eventually, it's going to fall down because nobody else is helping support that structure. I so, love that. Yeah, I love not that. one department. I will never look at Jenga <laughs> the same anymore. I will never look at Jenga. Thank you. But also you know, regarding what we can do, regarding the toolkits, because we come from, let's say that you have your your business degree or you have your college or you have your university degree and then you go into the workplace. Where should we learn more about engagement? What, where is, where should it be in the colleges? Should it be in the universities or should it be in the workplace or both? I'm going to say both. I just finished my master's in human resources and nowhere did it talk about, I mean, it talks about employee engagement, but you don't learn how to really, how to really, you know, advocate for yourself. You don't learn Mm. how to build your own career path. You don't learn about how to ask for what you want or, you know, so I think, and then I think we also need that at work as well. We need to be nurtured. We need to be, we need to have attention. So I think it's both. Yeah. And nurture and attention does not mean hand-holding. You're supporting the next generation to stay within your company, to become your next, you know, advocate or to become your next ambassador. And when you have your next ambassador or advocate, that means that you have to spend less money, read, less money on advertising because they are advocating, they are 
rooting, you know, they are tooting their horns because you are creating that workplace that they want to work for. Beth. Yeah, so all of all of the above, and and I'll just say uh, regarding uh, you know teaching. I'm not in HR, but um, I don't think we teach enough of uh, that employee engagement and emotional intelligence, all of those yeah. things that are not very yeah. clinical. But um, all of those things, and we and we a lot of times we focus on the company because there's a there's a huge impact to uh, employee engagement to a company. But there's also, and I I'm sure we all can say this from experience, there's a huge impact to ourselves because. When we are not engaged, when we are um, not committed to the company, we're not fulfilled, uh, whatever um, it means, we are, the stress goes up, our, mm-hmm. um, we, we get into indecision, imposter syndrome. Um, sometimes we have to, it's so bad that we have to leave jobs and then we leave some a stability and maybe even a good income. Uh, those relationships, which are so important at humanizing, we, you know, there's a lot of that involved in here too. So I think in addition to the impact of the company, because of course we know it all, it all starts where the money is, right? So if it's going to affect your bottom line and it does, I think that's why it matters to companies, but it matters to people because it, it does have a real impact in, in, mm-hmm. um, on, on our health and our, our mental well-being. So, I also wanted to add something on what you shared, uh, Beth, because sometimes people leave when they are disengaged, but sometimes they stay within the company yeah and that presenteeism is killing it's killing because you they are sparking they are killing somebody's soul from the inside mind you that when somebody is highly disengaged and they connect themselves with somebody who is new that person will think well I'm not going to stay at this company because apparently this is the vibe that a lot of people have so really look into um, really look into rotating, you know, give people, give them promotion or give them something else to do or give the dynamics. If somebody's staying in a job position for too long, is the job variation, is the, the job fulfillment in itself? Is it is it something that they can become innovative, become creative instead of doing the same thing over and over again. We are not robots. We are not built to be robots and we can never replace robots. So please get have fun in, in what we're doing as well. I see a lot of comments. So yes. Okay. Preach. Thanks, Monique. Monique was a previous guest speaker as well. So preach, Vivian Aqua. Let your employees be your brand ambassadors. And Hillary is sharing as bringing my as beginning my experience. We need to start a conversation on how diversity contributes to the success of an organization or the lack of the failure of the organization. Thanks, Hillary. People start to listen then, and still, it is not easy if you're standing alone in this topic. And um, I know I'm I'm um, deflecting from the questions, but I still want to address this because. For so long, we have to provide a business case regarding diversity, regarding inclusion, regarding equity. But it also got me thinking, is there a business case for the current situation, for the status quo? Is there a business case for boards being homogeneous? No What's one asked for that? one. <laughs> no one asked for one. <laughs> I think there is an invisible one. I think people know what serves them well. It's all about power. You know, what mm. ser- what gives me power, I will not question. 
So I think there is an invisible business case, but it's for certain people. So yeah, I think that's why we don't talk about it is because the people that benefit from the most want it and that's their business case. Power and profit. Yep. Love that. Love that. Thank you for thank you for challenging me, Monique and and uh, and Hillary. Going to this question, I have to ask this question before the, the end of the show. But what should companies do before moving the bacon and the cheese? And I'm going to start with Beth because um, this had to do with Beth's book. Beth is an, an author and she wrote the book. Where the hell is my bacon? And Beth, can you maybe share a, a little bit context about the book and and, sure. and 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 the title sure yeah so the book is um, where the hell is my bacon and it is is this true story i i lived it and many others lived it in my uh, a previous job uh, about a very stressed out disenfranchised uh, a technology department they're going through some really really ugly times morale was low everybody was afraid of losing their jobs we were outsourcing and at some point during the middle of this utter chaos and fear, uh, some brilliant, I say in quotes, executive decided that it was time for a health mandate in our cafeteria, which happened a lot, but, and you just get over it, but this was really bad timing. So I would say my first answer to your question is consider timing for any decision that you make, but um, mm-hmm. it, it kind of erupted. Um, somebody was lamenting in our company social media about the loss of bacon from the uh, the menu on the salad bar and it exploded and it really was a kind of a microcosm of all of the other things that were going around around on around us that people didn't feel comfortable speaking out against the outsourcing and reorgs and and new executives and not being heard but they did feel comfortable talking about bacon and you could kind of see as this this uh, story unfolds the anger coming out uh, but it was very, it was very triumphant in the end, and it did involve bacon. So um, I think I like to to think of it as sort of the the who moved my cheese for 2021. Because mm-hmm. to your point on your question, I think um, people are tired of being told, "Here's how you can deal with bad decisions." You know, whether it's moving my cheese or removing my bacon or a reorg or outsourcing or whatever it is. They're tired of being told this is the decision, and um, you, you know, here's how you can deal with it better. I think they want to be a voice. They want to be a part of that process, especially when decisions are made that directly affect them or that they yeah. have expertise in. They just want to be asked. They want to be a part of the success and and and, um, and not just a means to it. So, I think that was kind of the message of the book: is that people found their voice and said, "No, we're not. We're not just going to let you tell us that this is going to work out. Okay, we want to be a part of this. We don't. We're tired of the change happening around us that we don't have any any say in." Yeah, I totally get that, and it makes me think about you know when you promise when you when I make promises to Orlando, he remembers, and if I don't commit myself to that promise. That is how people in the workplace are perceiving these promises when you say that you are going to involve them, but you're not involving them yet. The next day it's removed and then they get pissed and then they bring out all the old hurt that is not necessary. That is not necessary if you had involved them. Angelica, what, what is your tip? for companies to do before moving the bacon or the cheese from the menu? Know your people, know what they're going through. I mean, I think 
you know, just listening to that, I've been through similar situations. It wasn't with bacon, but it was just, you know, other things. And I think what it comes down to is just really, truly know your people, know what they're going through, but also know what's important to them. And that sounds so simple, but it's rarely done. And it can make the biggest difference to your employees to know that while the situation may be sucky and it may not be turning out the way that we all want, at least my leader knows me, took the time to understand what is important to me in this moment and tried to figure out a way to work with me so that it's not just a situation like Beth Ann said, where I'm just told how I should feel and this is how I'm gonna move forward, I guess, because that's yeah. what somebody's telling me. I, I also see the same goes to companies letting go of people. I, I totally understand that given the situation now with this lockdown that uh, firing people or letting them go it's it's a necessary act, but are you kicking them out of the door or are you giving them some toolkits so that they can rebuild their brand and still as an alumni can still be your ambassador and can still see a different side of the company caring for their people right now. So um, whether it's the bacon, whether it's people, involve your people and let them know and involve them in a process and also be mindful right because would you like it if your sister or your daughter or your mother was treated in that way if not why are you treating your people that way as well you're here Udha. yes i think you know i'm a great fan of simon senek and you know one of the things we have learned is in any in in a situation like that starting with the why Mm. And explaining the situation to the people that we work with will actually kind of help you win half the battle saying, this is our situation. We are figuring out what to do about it. Yeah. And I think people are very smart and they understand companies going through, you know, struggling, especially in the last one year in sectors like tourism, retail, it's, it's been pretty bad. And, um, in terms of you know what Beth spoke about, involving their perspective in decision making is one question that we ask every year in the enge engagement service. Uh, <laughs> but then we ask, we get a score, but how does it happen yeah. tactically on an everyday basis? And I think it comes down to not just at the top level leadership, but across the middle managers and below that, on everyday small decisions, you know, what task I'm allocating to a team member to, you know, bigger decisions like, you know, firing someone. And I think having that uh, opinion, being feeling consulted makes people feel respected. And yeah. I think that's, that's about humanizing the whole process of in itself. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, that's my recommendation to businesses to, to be consultative, bring them along the journey. People will understand. Yeah. What I hear is transparency. What I hear is accountability. And what I hear is um, sharing your actions about what you're going to do, because I have had my share of service. And to be honest, there are some services that are really well, that work really well. And there are some services like, okay, you are just asking me just to tick the box so that you have asked me. But in, in at the end, there are so many people that are not involved in filling the service anymore because they know that what's going to happen, my voice doesn't matter. And 
I want you to really be aware of what you're doing and what you're asking and how you can ask things differently and really own up, hold yourself accountable. Again, hold up the mirror and take your steps that you need to take as well. So I want to go back to a different question that I want to ask because we have looked into why engagement matters, but what can leaders do to uh, boost employee engagement? And I will start with Angelica. Yeah, so I think leaders like really have to start with within. I think it's so easy when people get into leadership positions to think, okay, now what do I have to do? I have to tell these people to do X, Y, and Z, but we you don't, don't tell have... people. As a leader, well, you don't tell sometimes, people. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a difference between managing and leading. And I think, you know, you have to start by looking within to figure out mm -hmm. who you are as a person. How, what are your strengths? What are the things that you should probably work on? Because those are yeah. going to show up in how you engage your people. And if True. you're not aware of, you know, some of the things that you need to work on, you're, it's really going to affect the way that you are able to engage with your people. People are going to pick up on that. People are going to notice. And I think, you know, once you start from within, then you can start outward and start understanding who are these people that work for me, not just, oh, you know, that's Sally in finance, but Sally who has three kids, who, you know, has an elderly parent at home, who, you know, you want to know who your people are, because I know that I've been in workplaces where I just feel like employee one, here's my badge number, thanks so much. But my leader doesn't really know me. And that really affects engagement. So I think leaders truly have to get to know their people past what they do for you and really know about them and what okay. you can now do. I'm, now I'm going to put the hat as the leader. If I am a leader, which I am, but when I'm the leader in this case, what would you tell me? Because now you have shared this advice. What's, what's the next step? Where can I go to get that, what you just shared? What do you mean? Like to get to know your people or to get you to mm -hmm. know yourself? How can I do that? How can I learn to get to know my people? I think it's all about just getting outside of your comfort zone. And sometimes that's your office. And right now we're in a virtual place, but that could be, you know, reaching out to somebody for a virtual coffee or even yeah. just a coffee chat. People might be, you know, a little bit exhausted being on video. So, you know, reaching out, stepping outside of the norm and understanding that that might look very different than the type of leadership you've had before. I know for me, it's been about really unlearning the type of leadership that I thought was a leader and relearning, oh, so it's okay that I can do this. Like I can mm -hmm. reach out to people. I can, you know, be vulnerable. I can be yeah. a person. So yeah, definitely starting there and understanding that it's okay to unlearn what you thought before. Thank you. Sudha. Well, I think Angelica, um picked up on self-awareness right away. And I think leaders need to recognize their influence, their presence is, you know, is Zoomed. It's in Zoom. People observe everything that leaders say, do, behave. And virtually it's it's even, it it is multiplied because they don't get to see them, but then there's this voice going in their head that I, I haven't spoken to my boss. It's been two weeks. He doesn't even care that, you know, I'm, I'm still around, <laughs> you know, things yeah. like that, you know, starts coming into your head. And, and I guess for leaders, they got to be one, as I said, you know, psychological safety. What what are some of the tactical actions leaders can do on a daily basis to provide psychological safety? For example, if someone makes a mistake, don't penalize them, you know, 
probably advise them how they could have, you know, gone about doing it differently, give them a bit more slack, so to speak. And, and, and most importantly, the work, you know, especially in the virtual world that we are in, the annual goals is not going to work. You, <laughs> you can't have a goal setting process and then forget about it. I think it's important to give smaller chunks of assignment and maybe monthly targets or achievements so that people feel nice about reaching the milestone and how the leader is able to help those people by, you know, removing the obstacles along the way for the work that they are doing. Yeah. And lastly, around recognizing that there has been a huge Zoom burnout across the globe. People don't want to put on the camera, don't want to dress up nicely, just just for the sake of sitting in front of the computer, because I know my husband has been working from home for almost one and a half years, and he spends 14, 15 hours in front of the computer. And sometimes it's like he do, he forgets that he's at home because it's just computer yeah. and him. Huh. So I think really leaders need to recognize that and give people a bit of um, ways to manage that. It could mean that not having meetings as many meetings as needed or sending a video message instead of having a you know online sort of meeting they have to get creative how they connect with people especially in the virtual situation yeah and as a as a last tip to to add on what you shared is don't plan back-to-back -back meetings so if your meetings are normally uh one hour plan them for 45 minutes so that the person can have a break take a snack or eat a snack, have a refresher and walk a little bit or otherwise call them, call them, right? Where you can walk and talk at the same time. So thank you. Beth. Well, I think uh, Angelica and Suda uh, touched on great points, you know, um, being able to get to know your, 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 your uh, employees, the people that you work for and finding ways to make their engagement better. And I know this is going to be way out in the stratosphere, but the way, to do, that, the way to do that is to just ask, talk to them. Ooh. Everybody's different. Um, I have one-on-ones with my team on a monthly basis. Uh, yes, I got an awesome from Vivian. <laughs> um, I have one-on-ones with my team on a monthly basis. And uh, even though some of them are very similar on the surface and they even work in the same projects, they're, they're, what drives them is different. And it, this applies to all of the things we've talked about today. If you want to know what is wrong with your company, ask your, your people. They will tell you what's wrong. They will tell you what's good, what's bad. They will tell you what the gaps are. And they will tell you how to fix it, too. Yeah. All to do is talk about talk to them and i think that's key also in the the who moved my my bacon or my cheese too is to making sure you're talking to the right people because i'm sure the executive elite will tell you yes of course we had a conference and we had many meetings about what, what we should do with whatever decision we made but did you talk to the people who are now telling you that this is not doable because mm -hmm. they, they right? so um, so talk to your people, create a safe place, a safe place and share a little bit of yourself too, because they will share more with you. The more that you, yeah. open up, you know, give them little snippets. I know not everybody is a, in your face telling, uh, you know, the whole world about yourself like me, but you can share a part of yourself, a part of your vulnerability, and they will then share more and you will find out so much about what's going on. It's, it's unbelievable. 
Thank you. I love that. Oh, I also have a few comments coming in. So Hilary shared, we need to do it together and we need to support each other. And I truly believe that as well. Um, Monique is sharing, you never want an unmotivated team member to stay in the organization. That is a real problem in startups and in current corporate as well. Um, business cases at all, yes. Let me see, Hillary is sharing. I truly believe that a good leader is of service of his or her or their, their team. Let me add the third aspect as well. This means that the leader understand the need, what the team needs and also steer their team in a way they will be excellence in the work. Yes, Hillary, it's a mindset. What type of leader do you want to be and then act that way? Yes. People should take tips, notes from Hillary as well. <laughs> so coming to coming to the last the last question that I have, and um, we we are almost past the first quarter of 2021, and it went by so fast. But I do have to ask this question about 2025, even though it, for me it feels like 2021. I'm just skipping that towards 2022, where we can have so much more freedom. But let's look at 2025. What is your wish when it comes to humanizing the workplace and employee engagement? What do you wish to see? And I will start with Suda. Thanks. You know, when I read this question, you know, a lot of things came to my mind, but there was one thing which has always been in the forefront is, is the laser focus that we need in the space of inclusion and diversity. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when there is a report that says it's going to take 100 years to bring gender equality, I think uh, I can't keep quiet. I, I, have, I want to race, apply the horsepower. And I think that's, that's my biggest wish uh, in terms of humanizing the workplace. And I think it very well ties in with employee engagement, creating psychological safety, uh, managing mental health and flexibility. And I think all of that is part of that whole um, area around inclusion and diversity. I th we need to recognize that the workforce is evolving. Yeah. Employees' expectations are changing. Companies cannot just act like how they have always been acting. So we need to change along with the you know, demographic changes that's happening. And, and what it means is, for example, um, flexible working or work from home is not a perk anymore. It will become a necessity at that time. And how the companies are able to provide is when they will be able to attract, retain uh, good good people with good talent that that is required for the business. And I think this is also linked for me personally is around the talk around wellness, mental health, because as we grow, um, thanks to COVID, it helped us to put a break and do a take two, think about things. But mm -hmm. I think as as we get back to the new normal, we will try to become bit more accelerated in what we are doing and we will go in the same phase of, of changes. So it's so important to think about mental health and wellness of people. And with, when you genuinely care about those things, uh, I think that it is contagious. It will create yeah. a happy place. Yeah. You mentioned about, you know, working from home shouldn't be a perk or isn't a perk anymore. I feel the same way when it comes to employee well-being it's not a perk it's a must-have especially now with our our well-being all of our well-being is being challenged by this lockdown by this storm 
everybody has a different, you know, pair of boats. Some, some people have a yacht, some people have a rubber boat and you need to be aware of what your company can do to support their, your people and their family members as well. So I love that. Thank you, Sudan. Um, Angelica. Yeah, I think for me, um, you know, I am in the HR realm and, you know, HR has the ability to do a lot of amazing things in the workplace. Should it be the only department? No. But one thing that I hope in 2025 we're closer to is more diversity, equity, and inclusion within human resources. I -hmm. think, you know, we see that HR folks are like, oh, you know, we champion for it, but yet HR is 88% white. And so, you know, how does that affect the ability to have whole humanity in the workplace? Mm -hmm. You know, you have employees coming to HR with mental health issues. They may come to you for advice. They may be going through things. And if you don't share the same life experiences or the same, if you don't have the same, you know, life experiences that, that your employees have, that's hard to build humanity in the workplace. It's almost like a selective humanity. And I think, you know, my goal is for all of leadership to be more reflective of the workplace workforce they serve, because we truly can't have humanity and humanize the workplace until we are all available to have the same type of of opportunities. And as far as engagement, I think that's a big thing. When you have somebody who truly understands you, who, you know, is really invested in you past just what you can do for them, that will always increase engagement. So that's my hope is that we can get there. It reminds me of this saying, and I don't know who shared it, but you can be what you can see. And I see so many... I've been through this whole HR process here in the Netherlands and in different companies as well, where people are in denial of what's happening in their workplace, even when somebody shares it, even when a whistleblower, which I, I don't like the word and I, we need to, you know, we need to address it in a different way. But even when somebody within the company speaks up and they are being diminished or they are being sent on a mental health break, whereas it seemed like they are the are the victim or they are the 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 assassinator within the company instead of them being the victim of what's happening within the workplace. And we need to really uh, look into that the way we are supporting people and the way we are driving people crazy. I, I don't have any other word for that. So so thank you, Angelica, for addressing that as well. And Beth. My wish for 2025 is that every employee is able to find their voice in whatever that means. It doesn't necessarily mean a a physical voice, but just able to find their voice and speak out against the changes in their workplace that are are not for the better or that they don't understand or they need more information on. And they speak for those changes that need to happen that are for the greater good and for the good of, of themselves and the company. So uh, I just want everybody to be able to have have a voice and be able to advocate for bacon, right? Of co- well, of course, <laughs> you know, of course, my wish is for everyone to have free bacon every day, but that too. No, someone someone shared with me. I I when when I shared this episode, the title of this episode, my friend Myerline, you know, she she shared with me. You always have a reason to talk about food, but if you know me. There is a way about me addressing food and there is a way about me connecting food with the work that I do. And there is a way for you to 
you know, for you to marinate, for you to um, for you to consume the information that I'm sharing. So I always come with a warning. I do talk a lot about food with the work that I do, and it's a it's a great way to connect with people. So when I saw Beth's book, <laughs> it was for me a no brainer to have her on the show and to have this conversation as well. So thank you all. I'm seeing Monique. Monique is also sharing something. She says that video messages are awesome, voice messages are awesome. There are so many way different ways to connect with people. There are so many good ways to uh, highlight people and also and also see that um, and also I don't want you to kidnap your people with Zoom conferences or with Zoom meetings or with virtual conferences. So be very mindful if you need to meet up a one-on-one -on -one conversation use WhatsApp or use a different tool where you can have that one-on-one -on -one conversation because you don't always need to look uh, somebody in the eye to have that conversation. So if you already know them or if you know what they look like, be mindful of the Zoom fatigue as well. I am also mindful after this conversation, I have a five minute debrief and I'm logging off because I need that. I really need that. So a last comment from Hillary and then I'm shutting down. Um, it is possible to relate as a leader to every team member issue they go through. But as a leader, you can be open and approachable for everyone to listen without judging exactly. Start with the question, how can I help? Hillary for president. Yes. <laughs> Get my vote. Sometimes it's just about giving them a shoulder to cry on. Exactly. You see now, you see now why I, I truly like her. I adore her. And thank you all for sharing amazing insights, but also actionable, bite-sizable insights for people, leaders, managers, self-leaders, employees to really step the game up and do better when it comes to employee engagement. So thank you. And um, next week, I will be taking a break, people. I need my recharge moment. So next week, I will highlight a few conversations that I had in March. And the week after that, I have a different conference, but I have something sweet, something nice. I did a conversation with uh, Michael Grunewald. Uh, if you don't know him, I will sure make sure of it to, for you to get to know him because we had an interesting conversation about AI and recruiting. So until next time, thank you all for joining this conversation and I wish you the best. Bye. Thank you, Vivian. Thanks, thank everybody. You. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye.